Welcome to Skills for Life, a podcast about high-demand jobs that are shaping future opportunities. This show is brought to you by the North Shore Schools Foundation. I'm Kira Dorian, your host and a North Shore mom. Let's get started. Today on the show, we have Alicia McLaughlin, who is the medical director at the Center for Bird and Exotic Animal Medicine, as well as a relief vet for the Seattle Aquarium. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kira. I'm really happy to be here. I am really excited to get to talk about your work. I think this is a field that many students are interested in, especially animal lovers. And I know that we have both positive and, you know, some harder aspects of this profession to talk about. And I think both of those are so important for our students to hear if they're considering a move into this field. Well, I'm happy to share what I what I know and very excited to talk about kind of the weird aspect of the field that I deal with because I deal with all of the animals no one else uh, <laughs> most most veterinarians do not want to deal with. Yeah, tell me about that. Let's start with what you do and kind of how you got to be doing what you're doing. Of course. So um, I went to undergrad at Oklahoma State University, um, got my bachelor's in animal science, and then uh, moved to vet school at Oklahoma State University. Um, at their College of Veterinary Medicine and uh, received a degree there. For those of you who don't know, veterinary medicine is usually an eight-year degree in the United States. You have a four-year undergrad program and then um, a four-year doctorate program. That does vary other parts of the world, but that's what it is here. I had a special program at my school where I was able to do my undergrad in three years and then move into vet school and let my senior year of undergrad count for my first year of vet school. So that was nice. It gave me a little bit lower tuition rate. So it's always worth checking on that if you're in a college program, if they have those types of options. And then I did what they call a match to an internship because um, about halfway through vet school, I decided that I definitely wanted to go into exotic animal medicine. That was my particular passion. And I'd always had a passion for exotic animals, but had not really been exposed to it as a a career choice that would be something that I could really do as a a long-term career rather than just working as a mixed animal veterinarian that does kind of everything. So I was very excited to consider specializing, and part of specializing means getting an internship. So there's a program for um, medical students that once you um, are graduating you or or after you've graduated, if you want to go back into an academic internship or residency. You apply through a computer system and there are organizations, both private practice and university-based, that will take in those applications and you rank which ones you want to go to and they rank you where they want you to go to and then you go wherever the computer system matches you to. So it's kind of a little bit of an unknown. You don't necessarily um, have any, any preparation for where you end up the next year. So it's a little exciting and scary. But I ended up going to the practice where I'm now actually medical director at and I did my internship here. It's a really uh, amazing practice. It is the only 24-7 exotic veterinary hospital that is exotics exclusive that is in the Pacific Northwest. We do both emergency medicine for exotic pets and also routine and critical care. And uh, we see a very large number of animals. We have just hired our 13th doctor and um, all of our doctors stay very busy. And it's a it's a really exciting place to work because you never know what's going to come in next. So I started working as a relief vet for the Seattle Aquarium um, just about, I guess it's been a, a little over a year and a half ago now. 
And uh, so I also um, work twice a month at their facility and uh, provide technical support for emergencies and things like that and coverage when the regular veterinarian is out of town. So I get to see all sorts of weird stuff. I got to help with a sea otter um, training session for training for medical behaviors so that we can vaccinate her for uh, COVID because we're going to be vaccinating uh, some of the animals that are more prone to that at the aquarium this morning. I also get to work with um, a variety of different bird species, um, reptiles, fish, um, the occasional invertebrate, some really weird stuff like the odd kangaroo or uh, Patagonian KV or, you know, the, the list is just very, very long of the different species that I, that I work with. So it's a really fun job. Um, one of the challenges is, uh, un- unfortunately, if you never know what's coming through the door, it, it's it's a lot of information to know as a doctor. So um, I feel like even more so than your typical veterinarian, um, there's a lot of continuing education that has to happen to be able to stay up to date on the different species we treat. But it's a really rewarding career and it's, it's really fun. And it, we're serving a really underserved population of animals because a lot of veterinarians, again, do not have the training or the specialization um, to be able to um, manage the unique needs of these creatures. They, a bunny is not at all the same as a dog or a cat. Um, they have very different anatomy, different physiology, um, different medications, uh, dosages that they need. And if you have someone who's not familiar with how to treat them, um, they, they can end up uh, not receiving care that, that is ideal. And so we provide that service and especially emergency services too um, for, for people around the clock. And uh, we can do some really amazing things with modern medicine with these species that used to be considered a little bit more of, you know, oh, well, it's just a hamster. It's just a guinea pig. You know, it's not that, not that important. And for a lot of these people, these are their their beloved family members, and they're really happy to be able to provide the same level of care for those animals as they can for their more traditional pets. Wow, that is incredible. <laughs> I am just blown away by what you do day to day. That is so cool. So tell me a little bit about how the profession is evolving. You know, we're speaking to students that are maybe going to come into this work in the next five to 10 years. How do you see this profession evolving over that time? If you had asked me that question three years ago, I would have had a very different answer for you. The The pandemic has really completely changed the game for veterinary medicine, just like it has for many different careers. When you look at the numbers of uh, pets that exist in the United States right now, compared to the number of veterinarians, it's actually kind of horrifying. Um, so a lot of people when they were, when the pandemic started, went out and got a, a pet So um, we don't have statistics on exotic animals, unfortunately, but dogs and cats alone, ownership is estimated to have increased by 48 million uh, over the past three years, which is about a 37% increase. And comparatively, veterinary numbers um, in 2018 compared to 20 and 21 only increased by about 5,000, which is about a 5% increase. So that is not enough vets per animals. So there's roughly one vet per 1,500 dogs and cats. 
that is not including exotic pets again, or any uh, veterinarians that are actually in research or large animal medicine or in industries where they're like working in laboratories or, or things like that. So there is a huge shortage of veterinarians right now. So I think your chances of going into this field are, are pretty good. I think not very long ago, there was some discussion about, well, maybe there's too many veterinary schools and the demand isn't as high as it needs to be, but that has all changed. Right. There's been some big changes that have happened in terms of um, some general practice vets aren't taking new patients. It becomes really hard sometimes when pets are sick to get them into the veterinarian office in a timely manner. So uh, a lot of people are choosing to take their pets to emergency facilities instead, even when it's not really a true emergency, which then leads to overwhelmed emergency vet staff and doesn't really work well for them. There's a whole areas of industry that are being talked about creating. I know there's uh, quite a few places in, in our hospitals, one of them that's cr- trying to create urgent care veterinary appointments, kind of like how there's urgent care for humans, where you can have kind of a same day appointment availability. And there's also talks about potentially creating more of a telemedicine option for veterinary medicine, although I have a lot of lot of concerns about that since we can't really interview our patients and find out how they're feeling. So, so much of what we do comes from a physical exam. I, I do worry about that aspect of medicine, but I'm, it does have its place. And then there's also some discussions about potentially creating a next level, like not quite to the level of a regular veterinarian, but like a veterinary nurse practitioner kind of like they, how they have nurse practitioners in human medicine um, who can maybe take care of like routine care. And then you go to the regular veterinarian for like a sick pet. Um, but that is all kind of like down the road and, and that does not exist yet. But these are things that have been discussed and are still part of the ongoing conversation for what veterinary medicine is going to look like in the next five to 10 years. All sorts of stuff. And just scratching the surface, I, I know that's a lot of information, but there's there's been a lot of changes. So Yeah, it sounds like it. So tell me if, you know, a student is interested in pursuing this, what are some tangible things that they can be doing right now? You know, it sounds like the field is open and available and and that there's need for them to come into this field. What should they be doing? Who should they be following? Where should they be volunteering? Give us some takeaways for our students. So I would say the first thing to keep in mind is your grades matter. And I know that sounds a little, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go into becoming a veterinarian that are not grades based, but actually getting into veterinary school, that is still a huge part of that. So most uh, entry points want 4.0 students. You can still get into veterinary school without a 4.0, but it can be harder. And uh, so make sure you're making good grades, really focus on your studies, Um, Make sure that you actually like science. (laughs) I know that sounds kind of silly, but I've had some people who, um, you know, I've seen pursuing this field and they're, they're like, well, I don't like, and also that you like people because they're like, I don't like people. And I mean, science is okay, but I just love animals so much. And I'm like, oh no, that's not, (laughs) it's not a good combination because this is, this is a field that is very science based. And so, and you have to communicate with humans every single day, both in your clinic and with your clients. And so you need to develop a Good personality. If you're going to be a veterinarian, you have to be able to talk to people. You have to be able to have good animal handling skills too. And, and compassion and empathy for animals is so important, but you have to be able to, to work with people too. Another thing that I think is really important is getting experience in the field. And that doesn't necessarily have to be just veterinary medicine. Um, one of the things that can make your application stand out is having a wide exposure to different 
areas of the animal field. So one of the things that I did when I was applying to vet school is I had almost no background in food animals, but I went and I got a job as a college student at our university dairy barn. And I worked on feeding calves and milking cows and kind of getting some exposure to that side of the animal industry so that I could be like, okay, I know a little bit about it. I'm not going to know a lot, but I know at least a little bit. Getting some exposure to those different areas can make a big difference in how you're able to present yourself in interviews and also find out if that's something you actually like. Um, Because I definitely knew a number of people who came into veterinary school uh, with a very specific career goal in mind and then left with a completely different one after they had exposure to different areas of the field. But even more important than that, I would say, is just actually getting exposure to the veterinary field itself. So you need to get some exposure to clinical situations. It's great if you have a veterinary hospital that you take your animals to, asking if they take student interns, asking if they um, are willing to let you do some shadowing. I worked my way into um, the vet clinic that we took our dogs to when I was in high school, and I also shadowed a equine veterinarian. So So uh, there's a lot of opportunities there where you can kind of get a feel for what the day-to-day life of a veterinarian is because it is often very different than what it's depicted in the novels or in the TV shows. And so I think it's really important before you get into this field that you have a little bit of an idea of what to expect. You're also going to need letters of reference to get into veterinary school. So trying to develop those professional relationships where people can say, yeah, this is actually a person who would be really good for this field. That's really important too. And you should start doing that as soon as you can hold down a job and and can uh, start working there. Okay. So before we finish up, I know you and I spoke briefly offline before we started recording that people also need to really have a good handle on self-care and care for their mental health in this field. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so one of the things that I do think is important to to be aware of, and this is something that's public knowledge, you know, if you guys are really interested in this field, you should definitely do some research on it. But veterinarians definitely have some major struggles with mental health and, and work life balance. And this is something that um, is not unique to veterinarians in the field. It's also something veterinary technicians struggle with. There's research that's ongoing trying to look into the different areas of that. But a lot of this can come from, you know, people don't get to be veterinarians unless they are pretty perfectionistic and very empathetic. And it's really hard because sometimes medicine just doesn't go the way you want it to. There's always going to be certain things that are out of your control. And when a pet um, doesn't have the outcome you want, um, it can be very easy to take that on and, and have that be something that you carry home with you. And over time, that can be really overwhelming. It's also hard sometimes because we'll see animals that we know have fixable conditions and the owners can't afford to treat them. And that can just be really soul-sucking sometimes to, to be put in those situations where you're trying to help the animal and either because the sometimes the owner doesn't care about the pet the same way you think the owner should care about the pet. Um, sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's it's other aspects of things. It just can be really emotionally exhausting and um, can, can be really hard for people. And the other thing I think is very true is veterinarians are in such demand. If you allow yourself to be available at all hours of the day every day, you will never run out of people wanting to use you as, as a veterinarian. And it can be really hard to set good work-life balance and be like, well, I'm not at the clinic. I can't, I can't take a look at six other pets on social media 
and also give a consult for my friend and also do all of these different things because it, it can feel really bad if you don't respond to those things or if you aren't working harder or longer or, you know, making sure you're doing everything exactly right. Animals could suffer because you're not there. And it's hard to not to be able to separate yourself sometimes and be like, well, no, I, I have to take care of myself too so that I can actually continue to be there for all of those other animals that I'm helping. And it's just something that veterinarians uh, struggle with. There's a lot of different resources that are being directed towards trying to help address this, but I think it's just really important for anyone who's considering this field to A, be aware of it. There is no way anyone could have convinced me not to be a veterinarian. I decided I wanted to be a vet at the age of six and I, no one was going to convince me otherwise. But I do think that um, I have a different perspective now, having been in the field for the length of time that I have, that I think would have been really helpful for me to have been able to tell my past self. And um, I think that it is really beneficial for people who are considering this field to develop really good senses of boundaries and figuring out you know, how to set them and also how to uh, reconcile themselves with, for lack of a, a better word, for the fact that we are not in control of everything that happens. And sometimes, even despite our best efforts with medicine, we're going to lose patients, um, or we're going to have interactions with clients that don't go as well as we want them to because we're human and we make mistakes. And sometimes we lack the training that we need to be able to make the best decision. And it can be really, really hard. Um, but being able to have good senses of how to handle that and how to take care of yourself and uh, be able to have time, a, a separate life from work, I think is really, really key to being able to stay in this field long term without burning out. That's fantastic, Alicia. Thank you so much for, for talking about that, not just related to this profession. I think for a lot of professions, as our kids are coming out into the big, bad world, that self-care and those boundaries are really important to be cultivating from a young age. So I really appreciate you bringing that to the table today. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy I was able to be here today, Kira. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. We hope you'll join us again and remember to hit subscribe to be notified about upcoming episodes. Join the conversation on our Facebook page, Build Skills for Life. That's Build Skills, the number four, and then the word life. To learn more about the North Shore Schools Foundation, visit us at northshoreschoolsfoundation.org. Thanks for listening.